Good day, good day, good day to you. Welcome to episode 95, that's 9-5, which comes right after 9-4, which preceded or follows actually 9-3. That's a whole other thing. We are, at 95, five episodes away from 100. That's a big thing to me. It's a big, big deal to me, and I'm really excited about it. And you'll hear me talking about it even more and more and more and more and more as I get closer and closer to it. Um, I'm flying solo again today, so here we go. Um, Today I want to talk about uh, a question that has come up a lot over the past uh, month or so, uh, both with the classes of screenwriting and film analysis that I teach, but also uh, with a couple of the webinars that I've I've done recently, creative writing webinars. Uh, One was in May and one was in June, and I have another one coming up in a few days in July, just before I'm off to San Diego, but hey, we'll talk about that later in the episode as well. But anyway, the question is, you know, again, a lot of people are inspired to write or create comics or create plays or create screenplays uh, by things that they've seen, you know, usually by either the films that they love or the characters in books that they've read. Uh, They're really um, impressed by them. They're they're inspired by them. They're motivated by them. They're excited over it. And they want to go and they want to do something that's just as good. And, And that's usually the way they see it in their heads, just as good. What happens is as they go to create this thing, you know, whether it's a book or a film, uh, they find themselves either consciously or unconsciously replicating the things that they loved in their inspiration, you know, sources. So you wind up with, you know, the same sort of films that you admire, the same comic book characters that you admired uh, that, that made an impression on you. And really the question becomes, you know, when they're called out on that, when you can't do Spider Guy, uh, when you can't do, you know, there, um, something like, I don't know, uh, touchable as opposed to intouchable, when you can't do uh, your version of The Godfather because it sounds almost exactly like, you know, the original Godfather, you, you have to ask yourself, well, what happened? I, I had all these ideas in my head and, and, and you know, I, I thought it was going to be great and I love this scene and I love this kind of character and I love when people say this. Well, yeah. You, you absolutely can enjoy and admire all of that. But if your goal or your job is to create something new, then that's what you have to accomplish. And there are steps that lead you to that. I mean, now, now first, the obvious is when you're plotting a story, obviously, you, you have to look at, okay, uh, I'm doing uh, a heist story, you know, whether it's a book or a play or a film. I'm doing a heist story, and that means uh, some group of, of folks, guys, gals, whatever, are going to steal something that's supposedly impossible to get to, and then they've got to either succeed or fail, depending on what I'm trying to say with the story, and certainly there's going to be at least a getaway, there's going to be chase, there's going to be uh, maybe a rival gang, there's going to be this, that, you know, all, this, all the elements that one would expect in a good heist picture or you know, let's stick with film for a moment. And so you, you start plotting down a lot of the things, the elements that you want to make sure are in your story. You know, the, the, the cool thieves, 
Uh, maybe you mix up a little bit of the personalities there, so you have some conflict. Then you've got to, you know, establish who are the adversaries. What's the MacGuffin? What's the thing everybody's going after? How complicated is it to get to it? Is it just simply, you know, great security, or is it owned by someone who's truly dangerous, a person or people you don't want to ever steal anything from, not even a stick of gum? You know, you have to work those things out. Now, as you're working them out, as you're dropping down all these elements onto paper or onto your, your tablet or your laptop, one of the things you're doing initially, as I call it and others do too, is brain dumping. You're just dropping the ideas out. Just get them out of your head. Just play and have a good time and just throw stuff against the wall and see what sticks, all that kind of stuff, all those metaphors. But then as you go to put the story together, I mean, to really begin to work it out from beginning to end in an outline form. I'm not saying sit down immediately and start writing. But as you're trying to, okay, this works, this works, I don't know about this. Uh, oh, that's ridiculous. You know, as you're starting to organize those, those thoughts, those dumps, you know, as you're starting to organize them into some sequential order, that's part one of where have I seen this before and does it apply here? Now, looking at that and really trying to be honest with yourself. And, no, and if it's a scene that you love, oh, God, I, I got to have a scene like this in there. Okay, you got to have a scene like that in there. Leave it there for now. Just mark it. Say, hmm, been here before. You know, just, just mark it. Or if you know what the scene is from. You know, if it's your favorite scene from a, a comedy that you love or a mystery that you love or a drama or whatever, mark it. Throw the title next to it, whatever. But make sure your brain knows this is a swipe, this is an homage, this is a point of inspiration. Okay, I got to come back and look at this, okay? So you keep going. You lay out all of your parts or all of your pieces. They aren't necessarily the final word. They're not necessarily the, 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 the absolute hardcore outline that you're going to stick to 100%. But it's the road you're looking at, you know? And you know where you start, and you have an idea of how you're going to end, and now you're going to start working out how to get there. And again, just sticking to plots for a moment, you know, I always say start with the crime. Take the time to do the crime. You can quote me on that. If you don't know how the crime is done, then how the heck are the police going to solve it or the detectives going to solve it or, or how do we, the audience, watch and be convinced by what the thieves do? You know, if, if it's a, a, a safe that cannot be cracked by listening to the tumblers fall, it's got some sort of algorithmic, you know, complex lock mechanism, then don't pick some person off the street and say, well, he just happens to. No. What would it take to crack a safe like that? You know, do your homework. Get that down. You don't have to reveal everything. You don't have to know every single element, but you better be as close to convincing that, yeah, this is how it could go because this is what it is, so that we, the audience, buy into it instead of laughing and going out to get more raisinets. So you've worked out the crime. You know how it's done. You know what has to be done in order to pull it off and, and to get away. Okay, so now you can work out from that, forwards or backwards, into who's involved, what happens, who tries to stop them, how many make it, do they make it, blah, 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 blah. You know, these are those things that you really, really, really want to have down pat.
take for instance um, Denzel Washington, Jodie Foster, and Clive Owens in the film Inside Man. Okay, there you've got this team of apparently bank robbers who take over this bank. They've got all these hostages, and they seem to be, you know, drilling or preparing to blow their way into the vault and or, or the strong boxes or any of that safe deposit boxes. And and you've got uh, Jodie Foster on the outside, who's a negotiator of some sort for pay, you know, and she's an influencer. She she makes things happen for people with big bucks. And then you've got Denzel, who appears to be an average New York City cop, or detective rather, and he's got suspicions that there's more to this than blah, blah, blah. Well, yeah, this story is more complicated than just a bank robbery. It's It's got ins and outs and twists and turns, and I love it, and it's a great film. But in order for us, the audience, to either believe or be tricked by certain things that were going on, the screenwriters and producers had to understand the complicated aspects, the ins and outs of pulling off an actual heist like that. What would the thieves need? What would they probably do? What would they have to uh, accomplish in what specific amount of time? So that the audience moves along with that and it all seems credible. You know, that's the way to go. Now, you, you go, you know, you go from, a, um, and no offense intended to the producers and performers of the next film I'm about to meet, uh, mention, rather, but you go from a high-end film like that, Inside Man, with, you know, a couple of A-listers, to Cradle to the Grave, okay, with Jet Li, yay, DMX, great voice, and the ever-so-lovely Gabrielle Union, all right. Uh, and, and there's other people in there that you know and love, especially, um, oh, God, Anderson, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. I can't remember his, his first name, but anyway, um, I think he's in Blackish now on television. He's a lead, uh, uh, he's a father in that. But anyway, you have this film now, which, you know, both are, are action films in a way. Both of them have intrigue and suspense. They're thrillers. That's probably the better term. Uh, I think. Cradle to the Grave is more of an action film because, you know, Jet Li's got his moves and, and DMX, who's the head of the, you know, the crew that pulls this off, you know, he's uh, more of a, a physical force than, say, the way Denzel plays the cop character or Clive Owens and he maybe run the same lines. But either way, what I'm trying to say is what DMX's crew does in Cradle to the Grave is they do high-end thefts. You know, they know how to crack safes with all kinds of strange, you know, uh, computerized locks and things like that and, and get the most precious diamonds and all this. And they wind up in the middle of a situation that goes left when it's supposed to go right. And things just keep escalating and, and, and the, 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 the payoff is, is obviously going to be bigger and, and more explosive, literally and figuratively, uh, as we get closer and closer to the climax. But again, in both situations, in order for us to buy into what's happening to those characters, we have to, to a large degree, believe that they know how to do what they claim they do well. And I think that's, so again, working out your plot is doing your homework, is getting in there. If you're not doing a heist film, you know, whatever it is, do the homework. If you're putting it in a location you've never been to, do the homework. If you're dealing with characters and personalities or a lifestyle you don't lead or you don't live, do the homework. And that way your plot takes on a more genuine, fact-based reality that will then help the audience sit comfortably in that and go along for the ride. 
And that is also part of what will differentiate your particular story in this genre from the millions of others that have come and gone. You know, again, looking at Inside Man and Cradle to the Grave, both thriller genres, both heist films with action, but each story has its own particular goal and direction and tone and voice. You know, and it, and it even deals with characters in two different lifestyles. And your, your, your quote-unquote villains in one is, is more high-end, Euro kind of feel to them. And then the other one, your so-called villain, is theoretically African-American and urban. But again, as the story unfolds, we learn more and more and more. Same as with Inside Man. As the story unfolds, we learn more and more and more. So again, those little, those little moments where we suddenly go left instead of right, or right instead of left, or go down instead of up, those are the things that help differentiate your thriller heist film, or whatever the genre is, from all the others, which are, yes, your competition. So that's, that's one thing that I, you know, I talk about, is looking at the plot, looking at the, the world that you're creating there and make sure it feels comfortable and, and as real as you can. And if you don't know what you don't know, do the time to learn it, okay? So there's that. Then we go back to my more popular category, the one that I talk about more often than, than not. And that is, again, obviously characters. You know, uh, Romeo and Juliet, two teenagers in love. You know, that's basically it. That's who they are. Okay, they live in a completely different time period than Bonnie and Clyde. <laughs> you know, no, Bonnie and Clyde aren't teenagers, but they were younger than, you know, Faye Dunaway and, and, and uh, Warren Beatty. But nevertheless, star-crossed lovers, two lovers, want to be together, all kinds of odds against them, and they do what they can to make it work, and in the end, it don't work out all that well. They don't get to be together lovingly, wrapped in each other's arms forever and ever. But how many stories have been done in between Romeo and Juliet and Bonnie and Clyde and whatever else you can think of in present day television or film or novels or graphic novels where the basic lead characters are two young people in love who want to be together but can't be? You know, that's, that's the question. How many different ways can you tell that, that one theme, that one story idea? What can you do with it? You know, can you change the age? Yes. Can you change the location? Yes. Can you change the genders? Yes. Can you change uh, sexual preferences? Yes. Can you change uh, the time period in which they exist? Absolutely. Can you, I mean, what can you do? Any number of things to make it look different or sound a little different. But what you also have to do is define those characters. You know, make them yours. Now, you know, someone says to me, what makes mine different from everybody else's? Well, you. You as the writer, the creator, your point of view of the world, and in this case of their world, is different from, say, mine or probably 15 other people that I could pull into a room and sit around the table and have you talk to. Um, your motivations for doing this particular story probably are quite different from those same 15 you know, 16 if you want to count me, all right? Um, gender plays into it. Sometimes how men see a situation is very different from how women see it, or how uh, people who are born during a particular time in, in, in life, in history, how they view the world is different from the next group or the group before them. You know, so that, that factors in. 
But goals, your goals, why, you know, I say motivation, meaning what is your motivation for doing this? What is your reason for doing this? But what is your, what are your goals or what is your goal? What do you want to achieve? You want to have a bestseller? You want to get the story out there? You want to wake us up? You know, what are your goals for this story? That, that is your motivation. That's a part of your motivation. You want to go for that thing. What is that thing? You want to just be able to write a story, a good story? Okay, that's your goal. Write a good story. How do you define good? That's another story. <laughs> um, and then you also, again, dealing with you, your beliefs. You know, there are people who will only write love stories. There are people who will never do, you know, sexual scenes and things like that because of their beliefs. There are people who uh, are very religious, and so that will factor in. There are people who are atheists, and that will factor in. You know, there are people who believe in the supernatural or aliens or whatever. That will factor in your beliefs. You know, what is right and wrong? Very basic. What do you believe is right and wrong? What do you believe is okay to do? You know, how do you measure that? That will factor in. You know, your experiences, your personal experiences in life will factor in. And again, back to, from plot to character, research. What you don't know. How much time are you willing to put in? How deep are you willing to go to get the information you need to make this the best it can be? So that's absolutely you who make that difference. That, that first big step is you being as clear as you can in the process. You may not know all this at the beginning, but in the process of creating the story, you establishing your voice in this story. And that's one of the things that will make it stand out or at least read differently from, as we said, those who have come before it. And then, it's, you know, the other question people will ask is what will make it better? You know, how can I make mine better than everybody else's? Well, you know, honestly, I don't know that you can. I'm not saying that you can't. I'm simply saying I don't know that you can because I don't know your skill set. I don't know... 100% of all the other material that you feel you're in competition with, you know, ultimately, there, there are always going to be faster guns, as the phrase goes in the old westerns. It's always going to be somebody faster. It's always going to be somebody who, on some scale of measurement, is better at X than you are. That's a fact of life. So I guess the question then becomes, how important is it to you that you be better than other people? Or should the question really be, how can I just make my story better? How can I make my story the best I can do? You know, that might be the better question. But, you know, again, much of the other things I said about you will factor into how you can make your story better. You know, all of the research, your points of view, all of that, absolutely. Uh, talent. Somebody asked me a question recently, you know, um, what do I think, you know, do I think people have talent? Do, do I think, like, it's almost as if talent is an entity or a thing unto itself. Do I think that only certain people have talent? Do I think that I have talent? Uh, to a certain degree, yes, I do. Um, and if you're going to measure me against some of the great writers of all times, I would say I'm, I'm not there yet. You know, will I get there? Don't know. I'm trying, but don't know. But I will always admire what they do. I will admire their work. I will admire the work of people I don't like even. Or I know that we would never get along. We would never have been buddies sitting there, you know, discussing the ins and outs of creating good stories and things because they would not want to talk to somebody like me. Yeah, I know of some of my 
idols, my literary idols, who would not sit down at the same table with me because I don't need copper tone. But, you know, that's life. Uh, I still want to be a good writer. It is, you know, I think of my, my friend Don McGregor. He lives and breathes to write. I believe that telling stories as a writer is 90% of what he was put on this earth to do. And he has lived up to that. He has told stories. He has written them. He has sweated and bled into them. And that's absolutely who and what he is. He is a, a writer, a fierce writer, and a person who fiercely believes in the things that he talks about. I, I feel that I'm a writer of sorts. <laughs> you know, if you measure his passion and his drive and his commitment to writing against mine, he's going to win because he puts in far more time and he has put out far more material and I have seen him agonize over the quality of, uh, of his work in a way that I'm striving for, but I feel like he has committed to that one thing more than I ever will. I, I commit to wanting to tell a good story, want to really have people enjoy it, get something out of it, get my message across, all of that, but writing's not all I do. And so my, I get distracted or I go and I pursue some of my other interests and work on things with kids and stuff like that. And so my, my scope is wider. <laughs> you know? It doesn't mean that I, I see more than him, but I strive to do a lot more in other fields, whereas he is laser focused. You know? But again, uh, you know, so talent. Yeah, he has a certain amount of talent. I have a certain amount of talent. We both apply 100% to our work, and so I think that's what you need to think about. Will I apply myself 100% to get the quality I want and need into my work? Uh, that will make yours better. Uh, your persistence, you're gonna get smacked down, you're gonna get discouraged, you're gonna get distracted, you're gonna feel doubt, and, and, and people are gonna read it and tell you what the heck are you doing, and blah, 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 blah. Will you stick with it? Will you keep pursuing it? Will you, will you commit to getting it done that's going to make yours better. If you stay on it and keep trying to improve it and getting better and take, take the constructive criticism, really listen or read those notes and see if, yes, this is valid. Oh, yes, I understand now why you're asking me that. Oh, I didn't realize I missed getting that across. I had it in my head, but I didn't put it on paper. Wow, thank you for pointing that out. You need to go there. And if someone says, well, the way I would write it is such and such, and you didn't write it that way, well, that's true because I'm not you. <laughs> you know? So that's the other kind of, of criticism that you might get. If someone's trying to tell you how they would have written it and subsequently that's what you should do, you might want to question that. You might want to step back and go, you know what? Let me cogitate on that one for about a decade and I'll get back to you. Um, again, you know, editing. Chris often says it. Other people I know will say it, you know, writing is about rewriting. The first words on the page, the first words on the screen are not the best words. They're words. You get it out. You get it out of you. You get it onto that surface. And you step back from it. You give yourself some time. You go back and look at it. You can do better. You can fix it. It can be tighter. It can be sweeter. It can be more romantic or melodic or whatever, more dramatic, more scary, whatever. Look for those adjectives, nouns, and pronouns. You know, go for those, the words, the words, the words that convey the imagery, that convey the, the character's thoughts in the way that that character would think and speak. Go back and do your rewrites, do your edits. Those are necessary. Now, again, I go back to does better matter? 
you know, does better matter as in you want to get better or does better matter only when you're trying to beat somebody out? All right. That's a question you need to ponder for yourself because it's part of how we measure whether or not we succeed. And sometimes that's, that's a pothole that's about 10 feet deep. You know, your axle shot, your wheel's gone. <laughs> you know, the engine block's exploded. You're trapped underground. Uh, I want to write better stories. I want people to love those stories, I, you know, whether it's a screenplay or a play or, or an, uh, a novel or a comic book or a graphic novel. I don't care. I want, I want to do the best. I want people to enjoy that. I want them to get something out of it. That's how I can write Batman or Sherlock Holmes or Scooby-Doo or Archie. I commit to each one of those tasks the same way. One is not lesser than the other because I'm telling the story. And I think that is the only place you should really focus about wanting to be better. Be better in your accomplishments, in increasing your skills. Yeah, you might want to sell more books. I certainly do. I want to sell more of my work. Part of it is me feeling you know, secure and strong in the fact that I'm doing quality. And therefore, I'm not cheating anybody here. I'm not scamming anybody. This is a good book. This is a good story. You should buy it. You should pay me for this. I work 24-7, 100% if I have to in order to get something right. You should pay for that. So, yeah, your sales will be affected. Maybe not as much as you would like. Maybe over the moon. But better should be your goal for you first. And then let everything else follow behind it. Uh, let me let me share a, a couple of quick stories with you. Um, back in my youth, uh, when I was a young lad, uh, around you know 16, 15, 16, and I, I probably told some of these stories before. I mean, some of you may have heard them, but for you new folks, uh, I, I ran around with two good buddies, uh, Michael and Angel, and they, uh, you know, we were all into comics and we were all into superheroes on television. And, cool movies with action and stuff like that. We had a great time. And, you know, we both lived in urban New York City, and we had Central Park. And at one point, uh, we donned costumes and went into the park or went up onto the roof of our, our tenement building, and, and, and we filmed ourselves in action, you know, as these heroes and villains having chase scenes, fight scenes, and this sort of thing. Yeah, don't, don't recommend that you do the rooftop thing, you know, to kids. Uh, I'm not. I'm. I'm not. We were older, and it was still stupid. But you know. But nevertheless, it looked cool on film, as my friend Tom used to say. Uh, either way, we used our imagination. We 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 put our hours into creating stories and fantasies and adventures and things that you know tested us on a lot of levels, not just mentally and physically, but also creatively. We we. Uh, even made the costumes, you know, guys don't sew was a thing back then, you know, that's a woman's thing. Well, bull, we made our own costumes and they look pretty darn good to tell you the truth. Uh, so subsequently, um, when we weren't doing costume heroes, we were doing sort of like street heroes and, you know, you're influenced by the things you read and see. So I had, you know, grown up at that point. Yeah, I know, still 16, I was still growing, but I had watched, you know, the the Dead End Kids or the Bowery Boys on on Channel Five here in New York. I don't know what they were syndicated on elsewhere in the world. And these are about a group of teenage boys growing up in Hell's Kitchen, New York, in the 1940s. 
you know, World War II was underway and, you know, a little bit more of the mob thing and all of that. So they were, or gangsters really, you know. And so they would have these different adventures, but also they were street kids. So, you know, some of them might go in the wrong direction and, and get in trouble or, or get hurt. And their boys, their friends would have to come and save them or stop them or whatever. And this had an influence on me. This was kind of cool, you know. There was, there was one black kid in the group. I'm not going to elaborate on, yes, it was a stereotype and all that, but he was there. So, you know, to some degree, I could see a little of me running around with them. Uh, but more importantly was their adventures and their camaraderie. And so that was Michael and, and, and Angel and I. And we had a couple other friends that would join us for, you know, aspects of our, our film adventures. And we, we came up with the Blind Alley Kids, yeah, I know, dead-end kids, east-end kids, blind-alley kids. Not terribly original, but, you know, you get, you get the point. And we wrote stories, and we filmed some of that, and some of it we never got to film, which, which is sad. I, I think I've still somewhere in my house got the composition notebook that I wrote the script in. And I, if I ever come across it, I'll, I'll torture you with it. But nevertheless, I, I wrote what I was influenced by, and, and then unconsciously, rather than making those characters in my story, Hunt Hall and Leo Gorsi and Bobby, you know, and the, and the characters that were from, you know, the, the, the East End, they were us and the kids that I knew. And so their personalities were a little different or very different. And we were also people of color. And so it was a little something different going on there. But we were still heroes. And we were still average street kids who just got in the middle of extraordinary situations. And so you can take from your imagination, take from your life and tell stories, you know, and maybe they won't be, you know, epics and Emmy Award winners and, or even get filmed or illustrated or published, but it's all a series of steps towards you growing and becoming a better writer and a better artist. Uh, some of you who know me uh, as a writer also know that one of the series that I put out was called um, Blackjack. African-American soldier of fortune in the 1930s. Uh, no, I was not born in the 1930s. Uh, I was born considerably uh, sometime after that, 1940s, but <laughs> 1950s to be specific. And uh, the way I grew up, you know, a single parent, my mom and all that, you know, influenced my life, obviously. And when I was writing Blackjack as an adult and creating my lead character, Aaron Day, and the relationship with his father and his mother, and his sister, no, I had no siblings, uh, and I had, didn't have a father in my life, but I had a mom. You know. But when I was creating their world and their relationship, some of what I experienced, either personally or through friends, filtered into that work. And so this summer, as a matter of fact, I'm going to be working on a story called you know, Blackjack, Sins of the Father. And I know that some of the things I feel about my relationship or lack thereof with my father have filtered into the, the plot and the outline and notes that I have for this. And one of the reasons I put this story off for such a long time is because it's going to take place in another country, and I have to do research uh, for it. The story is more about the interpersonal relationships involved than the locality, so it's not like I have to learn everything about it, but I have to learn enough that I feel that I can really build a setting that feels genuine and organic to the rest of the story. And hopefully, you know, uh, I will. Um, you know, I don't go into it going, absolutely, I got this right here. 
I go into thinking, damn, this is going to be a lot of work, and I better get it right. <laughs> you know, and that's sort of my attitude right now. But, I mean, that's one of the things that, again, you know, my relationship, my experience has affected that story. Another one is a story that's going to be available on Amazon um, just in time for me to hit San Diego, as a matter of fact. This coming week, uh, was it, uh, I land there on the 18th. So uh, while I'm at San Diego uh, Comic-Con, uh, or Comic-Con International, uh, my book, The Day Chronicles, will become available on Amazon. And that's the story of Aaron Day, Blackjack's sister, Mary. Uh, Mary's been in, in my mind, and she was a part of the, the, the whole cast of characters I created over 25 years ago when I created Blackjack. His sister and his relationship with his sister is very important, and she was always in my head, and, and, and I moved her in and out of certain stories that I did with him, but I had really had been striving to try and do a series of stories about her and about her own experiences. And there were always distractions or hurdles or challenges, you know, lack of funds, whatever it was. This year I promised myself that story or those stories were going to get out. So there's a series, uh, The Day Chronicles is a series of short stories, two short stories and two uh, mini comics that are in one volume. Uh, and I'm actually very pleased with how all four turned out. And just to add, you know, some added bonuses, I, I put in uh, a legacy of the family, you know, what happened to the descendants of my character, and I put in a list of the books and some other information, you know, as bonuses. But what was really important was getting to write Mary's stories or writing from her point of view or even from Aaron's point of view about his sister, but about her. Because I didn't have any siblings. I didn't have a sister. Um, and I know that in my youth, I don't remember regretting any of that. But when I've watched my children, my own children grow up, my two boys and, and their sister grow up, I, it's, it got me wondering, what would it have been like? You know, you know would, would we have gotten along? All those other things. And more importantly, you know, my daughter, um, that's, my, that's my daughter. <laughs> You know, and all the things I felt about women and women's rights and my, my female friends, you know, and wanting to protect or, or caring about them, you know, you know, making sure they're happy, whatever, you know, or the friendships are tight, all of those things, the proud moments that I've had of even my mother and my grandmother about the women in my life that have made me a better person. I want my daughter to know how much I value her, and I want her to have some sense of the type of women that I've known and that she's come from, you know, her mother and so forth, they're all strong people. And I felt I needed to tell that story. You know, it's my version, it's my view. You know, I've never been a woman, you know, trust me on that one, I have pictures. But the bottom line is, I know what I've felt, I know what I've experienced, and I know what other women have shared with me in terms of their experiences. So I've, I've put as much as I could into the Day Chronicles, and, and I will continue to write uh, stories about, about Mary and hopefully do them justice. And I hope, you know, when the book comes out uh, on Amazon that you guys will go check it out and give me some feedback, all right? Uh, especially the ladies, but, you know, anybody and everybody, give me some feedback. Let me know what you think. Uh, but again, that series is, is important to me because it's, it's a female hero, a strong character, 
but she's based on the people, the women that I've known and some of the things they've gone through and some of the things I've researched. And hopefully she will ring differently than some of the other female characters, black or white or Asian that you have seen or read because I've given her as much of me and my inspirational role model women as I could. So um, that's pretty much what I wanted to talk about today in terms of you know what makes your story or your character different and what is better, you know, better than what, better than who, why, you know, do you even ask? Um, I think that maybe you know as you ponder what I've said here, you know, give some thought to uh, your own material, and and please let me know uh, a what you think about what I've said, but also. Uh, if you want to ask some questions about helping with your own work, you know, that might help you pursue your writing, your, your, whatever struggles you may be having, by all means, you can contact me here by leaving uh, a remark in the content section, the comment section, rather. Uh, just leave, a, leave something in the comment section. You can email me. The Tell the Damn Story email address is also right here. You can do that. Uh, you can also come, hey, here you go, if you're out in Los Angeles, uh, not Los Angeles, what am I saying? If you're out in San Diego during the Comic-Con International, you should come find me for two reasons. One, I'll be there, we happy to talk with you. Uh, secondly, on Saturday, July 20th, uh, from 1 until 2 o'clock at Comic-Con International, uh, I'm going to be on a panel about the Black Panther. That's right. Uh, the Comic Art Conference session number 11, I believe, right, is entitled, Who is the Black Panther? And the Psychology of the Black Panther, Wakanda, and the Transformative Power of Comics. It's a long title, but you're going to have some great people there. Uh, the book that just came out, um, uh, Black Panther Psychology, Hidden Kingdom, uh, was co-edited by Travis Langley and myself. That's right, yours truly. My name's right there on the, on the cover, right next to Travis. Uh, but in it, there are interviews uh, with certain people who were involved in it, like Don McGregor and, and uh, Keith David, who was a, one of the first to do a voiceover of a Black Panther animation. And then there's, there's uh, uh, dissertations, you know, chapters written by a number of extremely intelligent psychologists as well as extremely intelligent and artistic uh, illustrators who've worked on Black Panther projects and so forth, uh, such as, well, on the panel, I'll put it this way, on the panel you're going to have, uh, obviously, Travis Langley and myself, but you'll also have, you know, dancing Don McGregor. He'll be there to talk about his experiences writing the Panther. As a matter of fact, Panther's uh, Rage in particular, which was a, the, the platform, the basis for the film that many people enjoyed last year. Um, You'll also have, uh, it'll be moderated by Scott Jordan, and then you'll have Bill San Juan, Eric Wesselman, Victor Dandridge, a junior, and several other people who are going to be there to really share insight to the creation of the character, the significance of the character, the impact of the character, uh, and much, much more. So, A, come see me while you're at the con. I'll be walking around with a badge on, so that's how you'll know me. Uh, but please come see the panel, because I think it's going to be fantastic. And I'm really looking forward to being there and, and sitting with these, these wonderful people and talking about the project. And then also on Sunday, I'll be doing another panel on comics and creation of comics. 
Uh, I don't have that information yet, uh, but I will post it on my Facebook page. I will post it on the Tell the Damn Story Instagram uh, account, and I will post it any and everywhere else that I can possibly post it so that you know, I get to see more of you out there. But even if you can't be there, please, uh, I do webinars, I do workshops, I coach. Uh, I like to share whatever knowledge and experience I have gained to help others tell the damn story. So Chris and I, yes, Chris, you know, you remember Chris, Simple Rebellion, Genius High, uh, the City series, you know, Chris and I both have the same mindset. We, we care about what we do. We care about the people who are trying to do it as well. And we care about, yeah, I live in the city. So what you're hearing going by is not for me. <laughs> I decided to do this one outside and isn't that wonderful? Look at that. Okay, so thank you guys. I'm fine. I'm safe. Anyway, Chris and I really care about what we're doing, and we, we share that information with our students, and we would certainly love to share it with you. So reach out. Let us know what you think, what you need, what you feel, and hopefully I'll see some of you in San Diego and be here next week for another episode of Tell the Damn Story.